Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Good afternoon, everybody. Good to see you. Good to have you here. Thank you, Caleb. Appreciate that. You're going to be 16 tomorrow. Happy almost birthday to Caleb. Let's go. Okay, that's great too. Good, good evening, afternoon. Which one is it? It's after the noon. It's evening? All right. Well, the jury's still on that one. Happy almost birthday, Caleb. Thanks for replying to my birthday wish with that correction. Um, okay, here we go. We're having a good time. Welcome to Citizens Youth. If it's your first time ever here, like I said before, welcome. Super glad that you joined us today. Open up your Bibles to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. We're going to be at the tail end of chapter 5, and then we're going to go through a big chunk of Hebrews chapter 6. We're continuing on in our series called Greater, and uh, we've been communicating uh, for weeks on end, and the author of Hebrews is communicating the same truth as well, uh, that Jesus is greater, that there is um, a greater way to live, there is a greater person, there is a greater Savior, there is a greater high priest, and everything that we look towards, or everything that people used to look towards in um, ancient Israel, are not good enough. And the things that we need to fulfill us, the only thing that we need to truly fulfill us, uh, is Jesus, and that's why he's greater. And uh, we wanted this to be an anthem throughout our year. We wanted this to be something that we um, constantly reminded each other uh, of this year, and we're continuing to do that through this book, that Jesus is greater. And I'm excited for the passage we've got to have today. It's a beautiful passage. It is a dense passage. It is a passage that is widely debated among scholars and normal people alike. And I'm really excited that we get to do it together. Are you excited? Are you sure? All right. I don't know if you're going to be so excited once we start reading it, but it should be good. All right. Um, I'm joking, of course. Um, you know, I had a pastor who used to say this. If I have an issue with the Bible, um, the issue is actually me. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy, right? If uh, I have an issue with the Bible, if I look at a verse, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. The real issue is with me. So every passage of scripture we can look towards intently and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? What is it that I don't quite understand yet? Because the Bible's perfect. It doesn't contradict itself. It doesn't make any errors or mistakes. Um, but I'm excited to dive into some passages together with you. Okay, so to start off this message, just wanted to let you in on a little secret. Um, endurance has never been a strength of mine. I'm more of a like sporadically do everything that should take six hours in like 30 minutes type of guy than like a long suffering type of guy. Um, but endurance isn't quite my strength. And um, to prove this to myself, for some reason, I did the most grueling physical endurance sport I feel like possibly ever, which was cross country, which is just where people decided for some reason, they're like, let's make a sport out of running. Running where? Running to what? I don't know. We're just gonna run. Like running techniques? No, we're just gonna, we're just gonna do it. We're just gonna like pick a starting point. For practice, we're just gonna go. And then we're gonna be done. 
at some point. And it was horrible. I was like, what am I doing? Um, all my friends, so like, I totally give them the peer pressure. My friends know this about me. I'll be like, I don't want to do this thing. And like two people are like, you should do this thing. I'm like, you're right. I will do this thing with you. Um, don't use that against me, but I am telling you. I'm telling you a little bit about me. So anyway, my friends in high school were all in cross country and they're like, you should do this with us. I'm like, but I am bad at running, question mark. And they're like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, but it does matter because you need to be good at running to do a sport that requires running. They won at the end of the day and I showed up to the first practice ever and they're like, all right, we're gonna do a light uh, 10 mile run up this mountain. And I'm like, wait, what? What are you talking about? Um, this is true. So I lived in high school, I lived in Virginia and it's very hot in August, September, October. It's very hot, it's very hilly. There's lots of rolling hills throughout the state. And uh, we live right in the middle of the Blue Ridge Mountain Range. And so there were hills and mountains and it was hot and it was awful and it was humid. And um, anyways, I went to the first practice, it horrible. And um, they said in just a couple weeks, this was training t for tryouts. And tryouts, you had to run a 5K, which is 3.1 miles and you had to do it. They set the bar pretty low at 33 minutes, like an 11 minute mile pace. And I wasn't quite confident that I was gonna be able to do that because, because endurance is not my thing. But, um, so I decided to do this. I decided to go out for this. The morning of, um, it was supposed to be very hot that day because again, it was towards the end of, you know, end of uh, August per perhaps. And um, it was very hot that day. And like my dad was like obsessed with hydration. He's like, you gotta be hydrated. You gotta make sure your muscles are hydrated. You gotta make sure your mind's hydrated. It was like this whole big thing. It's like, okay, I drank like eight Gatorades beforehand. We had like, they're like kind of the small half bottles that you got at Costco or Sam's Club or whatever. But I was just down in those things. I was like, I do not want to like not be able to run. And the key is not because I'm out of shape, it's because I need more water or Gatorade or whatever. So anyways, we get through this thing and um, they decided like, hey, be a good idea for like literally the best to the worst people to all just run around this track at the same time. So I was just getting lapped over and over and over again. I'm towards the end and I'm just like, man, this is really something. And then you can, you can tell who's the worst because at the end, there's like two people left on the track and everyone's just standing there watching you. I was like one of the two people on the track at the time. And I was like, all right, this is great. Um, and it was just like, oh my gosh. If you've ever done cross country, cross country runners in here, anyone here? Yeah, yeah, you get it. It was so difficult. It was so hard, right? I'm just like wheezing. And I realized later I had asthma. I'd never had an inhaler before. And it was just like, yeah, this is whole thing. Uh, I was like allergic to half of the things in Virginia. I didn't know any of this at the time. Um, so anyways, we're running and I'm like checking my watch. I'm like, I am not gonna make the time. And I decided, you know what? As much as I wanna quit, as much as I wanna throw in the towel, as much as I wanna say, yeah, this really isn't what I wanna do with my time or my life or right now in this exact space, I decided I was gonna have to endure. I was just gonna have to do it. I was gonna have to stick with what I knew, which is put one foot in front of the other and just keep going. And that I did. And I was looking at the time, I was looking at the pace, I was like, there's a chance that I could make it. There's a chance I could do it. So I picked it up a little bit. I started, you know, waddling a little bit more, whatever I was doing at the time. And um, it happens, I run across the finish line and I press stop and I look at my clock. It was 33 minutes and 12 seconds. And I was like, oh my gosh, I missed it by 12 seconds. 
And then I immediately looked at a trash can and threw up blue Gatorade all into it. And it was horrifying. And I was like, oh, gross. And then like right after this happened, the coach was like, you know what, maybe you can be on the team still. So they let me in on the team, which was very nice. It was very sweet. And I was like, thanks, coach. Yeah, okay. Um, Endurance is hard, right? Running a race is hard. Running for 3.1 miles is hard or more than that. If you see people with like 10K or 30K on the back of their car, it's just like, what are you doing, man? Why don't you like yourself? Why can't you do something that's fun? Um, (laughs) No offense, but I did just make fun of you if you're into that. Uh, So the Christian life is hard and it's very long. If you're a Christian in the room, prayerfully, you're going to live a long life. We would love that for you. I would love for you to live a long time. That would be really good. Um, But the Christian life is a race. The Christian life is not a sprint. The Christian life is a walk with the Lord on one hand, yes, but um, the Christian life is going to take endurance. Uh, The Christian life is going to take time. Uh, The Christian life is going to take constant working um, on yourself, on your heart, on your spiritual condition, on your spiritual maturity. And for those years in cross country, I did it for three years, and I, at the end of my time in cross country, this, again, this is still isn't very good, but I'm just, just going to put it all out there. I dropped down to 23 minutes. I dropped 10 minutes off my, you know, it was 23-something was my PR, which is, you know, not that good. But all that to say, um, I constantly, if I wanted to improve, I had to endure things that I didn't think I was able to do. Longer practices, um, I had to, you know, it was really easy at certain moments in time to um, try and skirt your way around endurance, to try and, you know, the coach told me to do this, but I'm not really going to do that. I'm just going to kind of walk the second half of practice. Who's going to say anything, right? Uh, in order to improve, you can't do any of that. You have to constantly uh, be working. You have to constantly be striving to get better. And the passage we're going to see today is kind of a tonal shift in the book of Hebrews. It's kind of this weird left hook that is kind of thrown out in the uh, letter here that we're going to see very quickly here. And this is a warning It's a rebuke, it's a warning, and it's an encouragement all at the same time, telling Christians to do one thing, and that's to endure, to keep going, to strive for something better, to strive for something greater, to strive for something uh, better than what you have now, and that is spiritual maturity. The Christian life is a marathon. It is not a sprint. Uh, Believers can't slow down when things get hard. Believers can't cut corners When things get difficult, uh, when temptation arises and trials come into your life, you are going to have to endure. You're going to have to go back to your roots. You're going to have to go back to the thing that you know and believe most of all, and that is that Jesus is Lord and you are his child. You're going to have to do that. And there are people in this room in their Christian life who have thrived because of trials or they've become sluggish and lazy and dull of hearing as the text is going to call us out today. And so, yeah, the tone is going to shift here. But the reality is this. There are some people in the room right now who are more spiritually mature. And we collectively, as a community and as individuals, should constantly be striving to be more mature in Christ. How can we grow in our faith? How can we make sure that we are not stagnant in our growth? How can we grow more strong and more mature as young believers? How can we have a faith that won't just last for a season, but it will last for a lifetime? The text is going to show us tonight. Let's read in Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. You ready for this? 
you're really excited. Let's see how you feel after this awesome passage. It is, it is great. All right, about this, we have much to say. About this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Everyone say, ooh, ooh, burn. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you again. Everyone say, ooh. Okay, here we go. You need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go to the maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washings, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. God, be with us as we're reading this, as your word is preached. Pray that your, um, your word would go forth, not my opinion, not my perspective, not my ideas, but your word from this passage. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, these first few verses, end of chapter five into chapter six, the author of Hebrews is going through the basics. That's your first point. It's just the basics. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're establishing. And these verses are pretty, pretty interesting. Last week, we heard about this guy named Melchizedek and how Jesus is better than him. And we're like, cool, that's great. Um, and how Jesus ultimately fulfills this king, uh, kingly and priestly role together at once, comparing him to this kind of confusing character in the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden, out of left field, the author says, we have much to say about this, talking about his Christology, talking about the doctrine of Christ, talking about these beautiful, intricate, complicated teachings about Jesus. He says, this is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You know, when someone in your family is like being really stupid and you're like, you are dull of hearing right now, man. You know how you do that, right? Just me? Was that just me? No? All right, none of us say that. But dull of hearing means you've kind of forgotten you're not really listening, you don't really understand, and you're not really like being mature right now. That's what the author is saying, and we are now like, wait, 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 what's going on? For by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles and the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. The author is calling out the listeners in the book of Hebrews. And what are these people struggling with? These are Jewish Christians, so people who uh, were tied to the ways of Judaism. They culturally, ethnically are related to the Jewish faith. And now they see Jesus on full display. Many of them maybe would have seen Jesus physically or at least known someone who saw Jesus physically and saw him um, resurrected from the dead. Now they're falling after him. But what is happening right now to these believers? They're going through a bit of a rough patch. They're going through a season where they're trying to maybe revert back to their old ways, their old religious system, uh, their old religious uh, beliefs. They're gravitating towards these things and away from Christ. And the author kind of takes pause and says like, hey, um, you guys aren't really listening. So how the heck am I supposed to explain this in-depth 
review of the Old Testament and how it all points to Jesus if you're not even going back to the basics. That's what the author is saying right here. Uh, he is calling them out for being immature and not being able to eat solid food. So we're all babies. We can't eat solid food because we don't have teeth yet. Well, they're all in our head, but we don't, we have teeth, but they're just not like ready to be, you know what I mean. Have you seen an x-ray of a baby's head? The, oh, there's like a billion teeth in there. It's really weird. Have you, did you know that, right? Because you have, how many teeth you have now? And then you had all your baby teeth, but they're always in your head ever since you're like an infant. Look it up later. It's very disturbing. Anyways, um, but babies don't have teeth, right? Right? Okay. So what do they have to eat? They have to eat milk constantly. Um, if you give a baby a steak, it would not be good. And that's what the author is saying here. Hey, you guys should be eating spiritual meals of steak and Chick-fil-A and pizza. But you're lame right now, and you can only go back to milk. And the author is pushing them away from milk. There's kind of this weird thing that happens in these first few verses. First, he says, you need someone to teach you. But then he says this. So he's kind of calling them out for not being mature, for not growing in spiritual maturity. But then he says this, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from the dead, works and of faith towards God. And instructions about washing, the laying of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. And, we will, and this we will do if God permits. There's kind of a twofold meaning here in this passage. Uh, first of all, you have to remember the basics of your faith. You just have to go back to your roots of your faith. But you can't just stick with the basics. You can't just stay with your foundation. Think about it like this. If you want to build a house, you need a foundation. If you buy a piece of property you're, and you want to build a house, you can't just start putting up pieces of plywood and expect your house to stand at any time in anywhere in the world. What you need is a strong foundation to build upon. But what happens if you buy the land, you build an awesome foundation, super solid gets approved, and you're like, you know what, this is good too. Well, now you just have a hole in the ground and like concrete walls around it. Um, the author is saying, you need a strong foundation. Yeah, that's true. And you need to build upon it. No more spiritual milk. It's time to get rolling. It's time to be reminded of the things that you have heard before. Okay, that's what it says in the first part. About this, we have much to explain. Since you have, you've become dull of hearing, for by this time you ought to be teachers. So many of these people would have had a strong history of the Jewish faith, of traditions, and they should have at this point kind of put the pieces together of this Christology and gone back to Jesus time and time again, but they haven't. They've gone the opposite way. They're going back to the more elementary doctrine of Christ. They're going back to their more ritualistic ways of Judaism and the author's like, yeah, no, no, none of that. We're going forward. We're moving forward. You have to, in order to stick together, you got to grow. Christians can't be stagnant. Uh, you can't be stagnant. We can't be stagnant. We should constantly be building upon the foundations that we know as Christians. So I think of it like this. This is a Jenga tower. And for the sake of our illustration, this represents a well-rounded and strong faith. 
All right, we're constantly growing. We're constantly adding um, knowledge and discipleship and wisdom to our Christian walk. We have the basics. Jesus is Lord. I'm a sinner. The Bible's God's word. And slowly over time, we add to it through teaching, through listening, through discipleship, all these things. And then because of that, we can have more of uh, engagement in spiritual uh, 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 meat instead of uh, spiritual milk. And we are constantly building upon our foundation. But there's a few things that have happened here, right? In the first part, it says, you need somebody to teach you again. So what happens if we go to the very bottom of the pyramid and we just say, I'm going to take away some of the basic teachings that I've known and love, like uh, Jesus is Lord or the Bible is God's word. Uh, Those are very elementary teachings and doctrines of Christ. When we take these things out, our whole face is in threat of crumbling. Now, this is a really interesting time to say all this in our current age and context we live in, because we live in a day and age where we want to go to the very foundations and kind of ask questions. All right, well, did, did God like really say that Jesus is the only way? Is like the Bible actually true? Is there some errors in it, right? And our culture is encouraging these questions. Yes, ask these questions. Ask these foundational questions. Make sure that you question all structures of power and authority. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having doubts. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking these big questions. But what happens when we completely take them and we throw them out the window? Our whole faith is going to crumble before our eyes. But... In the same time, as we're building a faith, and maybe you're in this boat, right? Maybe you came to camp or conference or you've only been coming to Simpsons for a little bit and you're like, okay, Jesus is God. I think that's true. I, I, you know, I've heard some Bible stories right now. I like know about, um, you know, David and Goliath and this guy who was in Lion's Den for a little bit. That was kind of cool. Um, you know, I'm going to learn about salvation. I'm going to learn about, okay. So what happens when we just have the basic foundation? Nothing else. We're not growing. We're just kind of like, yeah, Jesus is good. I don't think I'm going to hell. I'm just going to stick with that. What happens the moment when trials come into your life? What happens the moment when things are difficult? This is no faith that's going to stand any ground. But what we constantly have to do as Christians is continually build upon the basics. And how do we do that? By strengthening the foundation. If you want to grow taller and higher and more spiritually mature, you have to be more convicted of the basics. That Jesus is Lord, that God's word is true, that he loves you, that he is a good God. And through all these things, we can begin to constantly, constantly throughout a lifetime, a faith that is going to withstand storms and trials and adversity all through our days. That is what the author is trying to say here. That's what the author is trying to do. That in all things, we might endure for the sake of Christ. Okay, I could build this all day, but I'm not going to. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of what? Okay, he's saying we can't just keep laying the same exact things down. And he lists off a few things here. Repentance from the dead and works of faith towards God. That's the first thing he mentions. This is basic repentance and understanding who God is. Um, This is great. We have to have this, but we can't just be mentioning this. Um, Instructions about washings. You're like, what is that? And um, instructions about washing and the laying on of hands. There's a few different 
potential meanings to this. There's some scholars that disagree. The thing that he is most likely referencing is ceremonial cleansings before eating a meal, ceremonial cleansings before making a sacrifice. The laying on of hands could refer to um, somebody who is in need of a blessing they would lay hands on, Um, someone who was about to sacrifice an animal for their atonement, they would lay hands on the animal. So there's a couple different interpretations you can take. But what the author is saying is some people keep returning to the basics of uh, the Jewish faith, and we have to move on from those. So these people were struggling to, um, they were probably being ostracized by people who uh, didn't believe in Christ yet. They were probably being made fun of. They were probably doing whatever. And the author here is saying, you have to leave some of those things behind and continue to build upon your foundation. You can't just keep going back to it. You have to build up. Um, Instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. This we will do if God permits. I feel like this last verse is really really important and people just pass over all the time. Um, our foundation is God, in God, is based on God's goodness in our life. Um, it's not based on how good we've been. We will do all of this if God permits. We should say that all the time. And I love, like, there's, this is, this is so interesting because our faith is our own, but it also belongs to God. And there's this tension of like, well, who does what in the relationship? Um, it's a great question. We know this. It's all up to God. We constantly have to rely on him. In order to build deep-rooted faith, you need to have a constant reliable upon the Lord. This we will do if God permits. When we we abandon the basic doctrines of Christ, we abandon Christ. And the author is saying, don't return to your former ways. Don't return to you to your former ways. So how do we stay strong in our faith? How do you stay strong in your faith? Constantly be convicted of the basics. Constantly be convicted of these things, but strive to grow in all things. Be convicted of the majors. And this is why we preach every single week. This is why I preach on Wednesdays and Sundays, because it is very easy to forget the basic teachings and the basic tenets of our faith and get so distracted with whatever it is. And I think that we should teach about worldview. I think we should teach about current topics and current issues. I think all that's great in seasons, but there is one core doctrine we have to believe in first, and that is Jesus is Lord, and without him, we're nothing. So constantly return to that. When we see waves of growing deconstruction in our faith, we have to be bold and look doubt in the eyes and say, I am going to have faith. Without faith, we cannot please God. It's a part of the Christian walk. So, in this moment, the author is saying, it's not Jesus and ceremonial cleansing. It's not Jesus and uh, atoning sacrifices through animals. It is just him, and we must move on. Uh, We get sluggish when we move on from the basics. We can't put our faith in anything but Christ. All right, so look at verse four. We're gonna read this together. It says this, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them 
again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk rain that has often falls in it and produces a crop useful to those uh, for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and it is at its end to be burned. This is another left turn in the already left turn argument that the author is making. Uh, This is a warning to wanderers, a warning for wanderers. Verses four through eight. One of the most disputed passages in the New Testament, this is a warning for those who are wandering away from God. Those who wander from God, those who walk away from God, what do we believe about their salvation? What do we think? I think if we went around the room, we'd all have our different perspectives, different ideas, different plans, different like, well, here's what I think this means. But what does the word say? Well, the word says, for it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, then they fall away to restore them to repentance since they are crucifying the Son of God again. The author's saying, you can't do that. So what does this mean? I've preached time and time again that I don't think you can lose your salvation, and I still believe that. I hope you do too. But what do we do about a passage like this? So there's a few different interpretations. One says this is just a proposed hypothetical situation. Uh, One would say that this word impossible doesn't quite mean impossible, just means really, really difficult. I don't think either of those are true. Um, I think that it's saying what it means. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, shared the Holy Spirit, it's impossible for those people to be returned to repentance. So what do we believe about this passage? Well, first, we have to ask the question, who is this addressing? Who is being written to? Who is receiving these words? And what is this address for? So who's it being written to? And why is it being written to them? This is where the real interpretation comes in. This letter is to Christians. It's being written to Christians. But this is the key phrase in verse 4. For those who, want, who have once been. For those who have once been all of those things. I think what's happening here is the author is creating in this congregation a separate congregation. He's saying for those who have been enlightened and heard and have walked away and returned to Judaism or who have walked away, it is impossible for them to be received back into repentance. I don't believe that this applies for those who are genuinely regenerate in Christ. I don't believe that this applies to people who are genuinely regenerate, meaning renewed or made new in Christ. However, there is a warning here. There's a solid warning. It doesn't make it any more comfortable, but it's definitely real. There is a person who can look the part, but not be the part. There's a person who can go to church all the time and seemingly be enlightened, at least intellectually, You know, there's so many atheists that can probably preach the Bible better than you and me because they know it, they have it. I mean, the devil himself knows the Bible better than probably any of us. 
So at, at one point, there's a person who's been enlightened, at least academically, intellectually. They've tasted the Holy Spirit. Maybe they've even received common grace of the Spirit moving in a town or in a community. So many non-Christians walk into the room once on Easter and once on Christmas, and they have great vibes. They love it. It makes them feel spiritual. It reminds them of the kid, but they're not Christians. But they can still share in the Holy Spirit in that moment. I think the Holy Spirit's calling them to repent. Um, That's what I believe is happening here. If you're genuinely regenerate in Christ— you will never do what? You won't fall away. But that's what the author's drawing this tension to. He's saying, what do we do with the people who have fallen away? What do we do with those people? And this is, this is a warning. I don't believe that this is two regenerate Christians. And I'll, we'll show another verse here in a second. But we do have to ask ourselves a question. Where am I right now? Right? Am I trying? Do I understand the things of God or am I following after God? Do I like want to look the part because I want to be with my friends and show it off? Or do I want to sacrifice my very life in order to follow after Jesus? This is a warning for those who have tasted and maybe like seen that God's good and then at one point are like, yeah, I don't know about this. I don't know if I want this. And again, this isn't to beat up on people who are doubting. This isn't to bash people who are asking important questions. I think those things are fine. But somebody who is genuinely regenerate in Christ will never walk away. More importantly, God will never let go of them. There's a couple of verses that I think we should look at in this exact moment. John 5, 24. You put that on the screen. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent him or who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Romans 8, 39 says this, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's Romans eleven twenty nine 29 as well. It says, for the gifts or the calling of God are uh, um, irrevocable. Irrevocable. What does it say? For the gifts of the calling of God are irrevocable, okay? What about 1 Corinthians 1, 6 through 8? Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What about Philippians 1, uh, uh, verse 6? It says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And then maybe just one more for good measure. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Uh, Those who never turn to Christ and die cannot repent. It's like a sad thing to say. In this life, we can repent. In this life, we can. We can turn to the Lord. But those who never do, those who never decide to fall after Christ will face judgment. But those who are in Christ never will. I believe that logically, if I couldn't have done anything to receive salvation— then therefore there's nothing I can do to like kind of not burn enough like with passion for the Lord and love and I just like kind of fall out of like enjoying scripture and now I'm not a Christian anymore. I believe that the Lord keeps his own. But this should be a warning, a question. 
What do we believe? What do we see? Um, the passage makes way more sense when we read verses 7 and 8. It says, For a land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. For if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And in the end, it is burned. Um, this gives us more evidence to what the author is saying. He's clearly uh, quoting here from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. He's clearly alluding to, at least not directly quoting, uh, what Jesus teaches in the parable of the sower. And Jesus says this. I'm just going to read this really quickly. It says, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came down and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. But other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And he who has ears, let him hear. Uh, Jesus himself said these things. There's going to be some people who receive God's word, and there's going to be some people who don't. And then there's going to be some people who look like they receive God's word, and inevitably they just won't in the end. This is what God's word says. And as weird as it is to try and think through this, this is reality. When you and I hear the good news of the gospel and we want to repent and we want to turn to the Lord, that is God working in your heart. And if you're hearing that voice tonight through the preaching of God's word, turn now and embrace Christ in faith. And he will keep you. He will protect you. He will guard you until that day. I believe that. So thankfully, the author turns another turn and concludes this passage with an encouragement. Verse 9 says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Okay, keep that up there. Verse 4, I'll read verse 4, and then we'll read this, and we'll ask ourselves a question, was there a transition in audience? For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been, okay, that was what he was talking about. Now what do we see here in verse 9? Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved. So he's talking to who again? Now believers. So there's clearly a distinction of audiences that I think personally that he is addressing here. So in your case, beloved, anytime you see that word, it's, we're talking to Christians. You're beloved, I'm beloved, we're all beloved. Christians in the room. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. This is where we'll conclude. For God is not unjust to overlook your work and love that you have shown in his name, serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not become sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. These final verses are an encouragement for the faithful. The author switches gears again, thankfully, with an encouragement and a story of faithfulness of people who have endured till the very end. Uh, God hasn't forgotten your good works. God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't forgotten you in the place that you are right now. And this, ask, this answers a very important question. How can I keep growing? All right, I'm here. I'm trying to be a Christian. It's difficult. It's hard. How can I keep growing in my faith? It says this. 
in order for you to not be sluggish, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. In order to keep growing in your faith, you have, to, you have to have faith. You have to continue to believe in faith. And you have to be patient. And you should be imitating those who are older and are about to inherit the promise. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. There is a constant call to grow in maturity, to grow in depth, to be encouraged by the roots of what God is doing in your life. And the easiest way is to be connected to an older believer. And that's why we have leaders in the room. That's why we're here tonight. We don't just get together to like have fun. And if we had no leaders in the room, it would just be like, I don't know. Just be like, yeah, we hang out. And like Noah says some things and I kind of learn and then that's it. But why do we have leaders? So we can imitate their faith as they're closer to inheriting the promise, as I'm closer to inheriting the promise, Lord willing, than you, right? We imitate these people. So where's Jesus in this text? Where is he in this text? For look at this. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. And at the very end, we see through faith and patience. Only faith in God can deliver us from evil. That's it. Faith in God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jesus is the author and the perfecter and the uh, continually uh, working on our salvation. Salvation belongs to him. But the call is clear for us as Christian. Believers press on to spiritual maturity. Through doubt, through pain, through difficulty, sometimes you just have to endure. That's not to ignore your pain. That's not to say, you know, it's just no big deal right now, or you're young, like life gets really hard in the future. This is to say, that true, genuine Christians will constantly press on to spiritual maturity. All right, and I know that it's hard. I know that sometimes you're mocked for your faith. I know that trials come up and you're just like, dude, I feel like I'm falling after the Lord and my life got like way harder. I thought my life was better before uh, I followed Jesus. I know that you have doubts and confusion and pain, but as an older brother in Christ, I'm calling you through the words of this page to endure, to keep going, to press on towards spiritual maturity because one day you will receive the promise. I'm heralding the promise to you that one day you get to be with Christ, you get to see him face to face, you get to live with him forever and that's a long way from now probably, right? That's a long way from now. How can we hold on? I'm encouraging you, hold on through faith and patience by imitating the saints before you and above you who are older than you, by constantly returning to the one who has established your faith, to grow in maturity, by being in community, by being connected to a body. And we worship the one who is not just sustaining our faith, but the one who has actually established it. Not returning to ceremonial cleansing, not returning to any ritualistic practice, but returning to Christ. That is how we grow. And we're going to continue to grow together. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're thankful for the time that we share. We're thankful for your word that you didn't leave us alone to be confused, 
Uh, You didn't leave us alone to ask these questions. You gave us your word. You gave us your Holy Spirit to interpret these things. So I pray that we would apply these truths to our hearts in the next days, weeks, months, and that we at Citizens, uh, as we constantly communicate this thing that you are greater, uh, we would grow in our faith. Uh, that we wouldn't be stagnant, we wouldn't be coasting, we wouldn't be sluggish, but we would endure. We would press on. We would run even though we're tired. And God, would you pull us through? Would you pull us through those difficult days? And we know that you will. We're thankful that you have. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.